Monday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Caden, on Friday, our favorite time of the year officially kicks off with the start of bowl season. In today's episode, we'll preview the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl with the help of two great guests, Troy Athletic Director Brent Jones and Sunbelt Championship MVP Gunnar Watson will stop by throughout the episode to talk about the program's historic season and to preview the upcoming bowl matchup. Caden, this matchup is a great one. It's going to feature the 24th-ranked Troy Trojans facing the 25th-ranked UTSA Roadrunners in the only matchup of conference champions during bowl season. One of these teams will most likely end the season ranked. Caden, we have two 11-win teams squaring off. Sunbelt versus Conference USA. What has you most excited about this matchup? You talked about it. It's one of the only bowls that is featuring two conference champions, and these are really just two of the best winners as far as teams winning games that we've seen in college football this season. These are two great programs who over the years have turned things around, put themselves in the national scene, the national conversation, and now leave this season as conference champions, both looking to reach that 11 win mark, I believe 12 win mark. These teams have just been piling win after win after win every week. And I'm really looking forward to them squaring off in this cure bowl on December 16th. Hey, you talk all the time about learning how to win, knowing how to win. And these are two programs that have found ways to do that all year long, particularly though for Troy Caden, it has been a historic season for the Trojans. The program's resurgence was due in large part to the hiring of head coach John Summerall last December. Uh, And to get you set for Friday's matchup, we actually spoke with Trojans Athletic Director Brent Jones, who played an integral part in the hiring process. He's actually going to talk about what that process looked like in this interview. Uh, Brent also gave his reaction to Troy winning the Sun Belt, spoke about utilizing the program's momentum moving forward, and even gave us the secrets to his top-notch game day apparel. You'll really enjoy this interview with Troy Athletic Director Brent Jones. Well, Brent, first of all, congratulations to you, your staff, and the university for winning the Sun Belt this season. Thanks for making the time to come on the podcast this morning. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it, it was great to see you all uh, on the game, at the game, on the sidelines prior to the game, and, and actually after the game as well, the Sun Belt Conference Championship game coming out of the, uh, the press conference. It was a historic day for Troy University, Troy University football. Well, that historic day started last year, and you know I, I want to talk a little bit about the coaching search. You guys let Coach Lindsey go after the App State game last year, and then less than two weeks later, you guys hired John Summerall on December 2nd. What did that process look like, Brent, and why was John ultimately the right fit for this job? That's funny you mentioned it was two weeks. Boy, it felt like two months, right? And so whenever you go through that the, the search process, uh, you lose track of time, uh, you know, uh, the hours, those things, you're just so hyperly focused as you go through that process. Uh, we did a deep analysis, uh, Chancellor Hawkins as well as myself did a deep analysis on where we felt like the program could be, should be, needed to be. And so when uh, we had had three uh, five-win seasons and uh, from the resources as well as our expectations, and so once that decision was made, then it was go time. And so as an athletic director, and y'all y'all talk to them all the time, and we have great colleagues in the Sunbelt Conference as well. They're, they're phenomenal. You're always looking who who's out there, who who might be of interest for you. And so we had a list. I had a list of uh, you know several several candidates, and it was a, it was a very extensive list to be quite honest. I wanted to make sure that there was no stone that was left unturned, and so that's part of the reason that that the move was made a little bit earlier to give us a little bit more of a uh, runway 
uh, timeline standpoint. So as we went through this, but one of the most important, two of the most important things that we did during this process was I spoke to the letter winners. I had a Zoom with almost over 250, I believe, from, from memory, letter winners. And I didn't ask them for names, but I asked them, I wanted to know characteristics, attributes. What did you think we weren't doing as well from a football standpoint? How do we get back to Troy University football, the standard? And so the standard here is it's it's competing for championships. It's winning bowl games. Uh, it's winning championships. It's actually winning national championships, three national championships, over 30 conference championships. We now have the most conference championships in the Sunbelt Conference in the history of it. And so I wanted to know from them what they thought about. And so it was really interesting. And then to speak with the team as well, to hear from them, what were they looking for? You know, and so, again, not names, just wanted to know. And, and so here's what they wanted. They wanted discipline. They wanted fun. Uh, they wanted hard work. They wanted connectivity. They wanted someone who could come in and recruit, could flip the culture. And that was one thing that they wanted. They wanted accountability. I had not heard that going through other searches. They wanted accountability. And so, um, you know, to be quite honest, football and football terms, uh, they wanted juice. They wanted the juice. That That is what they wanted. And so we wanted a person that had energy, uh, connectivity, could recruit, but also knew Troy. Uh, Troy's, you know, it's a different uh, dynamic. Any place that you go, any any place that you're looking at, and I've had the pleasure of, of working at uh, now three Sunbelt Conference schools. So Southern Miss was in Conference USA <clears throat> when I worked there, but now they're in the Sunbelt. And Georgia Southern was Division One AA, and now they're in the Sunbelt and then Ole Miss. Each one has a different community connection point. You want to make sure you get that right. And so as we went through this process, uh, it was very deliberate, uh, thorough, and obviously uh, we felt like we got a winner. And obviously uh, John Summerall being the Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year has validated that as well as with the, the 11-2 and two season. You definitely got the right coach, it seems like, Brent. And when we were at the game, one of the things that stood out was just that student section. The student section came out early. They were allowed the whole game. And then especially after the game, when they were on the field, rushing the field, and even taking down that goalpost, what was it like to watch the student section have that energy, bring it to the field, and ultimately bring that goalpost out of that stadium? It was incredible, right? And so uh, <clears throat> we have great students here. Um, our students are phenomenal. You looked out there. Prior to the game, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to the game, national TV, you're seeing them braving the pom-poms. And, and look, we made a point during the week to say this is not going to feel and look like a normal Troy football game. This is a neutral championship game that's played at Veterans Memorial Stadium. And so because of that, we asked them to be loud. We asked them to be proud. It was quite phenomenal to have almost 7,000 students there that take up an additional three or four sections above that. Uh, for them to be able to rush on the field, uh, to do it in a very uh, deliberate way so there was no danger, there was no interactions with Coastal Carolina, to go to the goalpost, to take them down, uh, it was incredible. And then at the end of the game, the presentation going on, the stage coming out, to see confetti falling from the sky, to see Coach Summerall lift up the trophy and say, Troy football is back, it was quite incredible. And it, it's a really it's a testament to our students. Uh, to our university, uh, to our university's leadership, Chancellor Jack Hawkins Jr., uh, as well as Coach Summerall and our student athletes. Uh, this this win is not just for football. It's not just for the student athletes. This is for everybody. And so, uh, and I will tell you this: the two toughest things that I believe working in intercollegiate athletics to build on it is to win, and it is it's to win, and it's also to uh, to build facilities. Reason why it takes a lot of resources and a lot of people all pulling in the same way to do it. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And we'll definitely get into a little bit that more of that in a moment. Um, you know, I think we can all agree the confetti was very aggressive. You were on the front line, but you were standing next to Commissioner Gill. And he's a person who who stepped out and the Sun Belt went a different direction this year, focusing on regional rivalries, bringing in new members. Can you just speak on his leadership of the conference right now? Simply incredible. And so you got to think about it. Uh, Ten years ago, the Sun Belt Conference, Chancellor Jack Hawkins Jr. at Troy has been here for 34 years. Uh, and eight years ago, uh, the Sunbelt Conference was left for dead by national media. So you had the the mass exodus from Conference USA into the American, the American into the Big 12 and some others. And so you really saw what was the Sunbelt Conference going to do? And, uh, you know, to be able to pick up Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, App State, simply incredible. Fast forward now eight, nine years in the same predicament. What are we going to do? Conference expansion. How is that going to look like? And to be uh, able to pick up a Southern Miss, to be able to pick up a Marshall, an ODU, a JMU. What it did is the connectivity of all of the, the teams were interlocked by sports or by, by states. You're not flying over one state to go. So the, the pitch that we were talking about is every time that we play ULM in any sport, every time South Alabama plays Arkansas State, every time that, you know, anybody's playing we're going over the state of Mississippi. Why not add a great Southern Miss? And then you see App State and their rivalry with Marshall, Georgia Southern's rivalry with Marshall from the 1AA days, as well as being less than five hours apart. You see the Virginia. And so it really connected our flank, protected our flanks, connected us all together. And now we're a drivable league, which is something that we maintained we had to be. We wanted it to be, you know, we wanted to be able to have drivable so we could reinvest our resources into our people, into our facilities, into our department, instead of just spending it on uh, travel. Uh, at the same time, you wanted uh, value to be able to bring in. And Coach and, and, and Keith Gill was able to bring in uh, a significant amount of value to the league with Marshall, Southern Miss, ODU, JMU. And it's not just football. Football gets a lot of the credit, and it is the bell cow. But you got to think about what this league is going to be like from a baseball standpoint. Last year, we had four teams in. The NCAA tournament, uh, if you have Southern Miss last year, now you have five. And to be quite frank, ODU should have gotten in. They, they were a, a top 40 RPI team. They should have gotten in. So you look at that, you have Georgia Southern that was ranked 10th in America. You had Southern Miss that's ranked 15th in America. You have Coastal Carolina who's won a national championship. This league, from a competitive standpoint, all across the board, is super competitive. And uh, the Sunbelt Conference is not going to be the most resourced conference, such as the SEC with those TV rights. But what we want to do is we want to become the most competitive, and we are well on our way. Two things I know, Brent, from being at App State during my time was I remember when the North End Zone facility at Troy was getting built and seeing that process go up was amazing. And I also know that just being around a, a, a team that wins championships finally, you start to see some different changes potentially in the facilities and different things structurally to the program. Now that you've won this championship, it's an exciting time for BA Troy and the future is ahead. Do you see any planned upgrades as far as facility stuff or maybe even just the program in general, some upgrades that you want to make or could see being made in the future? That That's a great point that you have. And and you have it, obviously, from a perspective of student athlete as well as myself. And, you know, momentum, momentum is so important and, it, and it's tough to get. 
and it's even tougher to sustain it. So you really have to feed that beast. I was talking to a good friend who is an athletic director and he was talking about you have to feed, you have to feed it. What are you doing every day to feed that momentum? And so one of the things that we've done is we spent, uh, we've invested $30 million in the last five years uh, to go over with our North End Zone project here, which uh, is a four level uh, compound uh, host our athletic training. It's our locker room. It's a studio. It also has all of our coaches' offices as well as nutrition and um, weight room as well as uh, our lounge as part of this. Now, with that, you're always looking to grow. How can we grow? How can we make the the student-athlete experience, and the fan experience the best we can do. This past year, we finished second in the league in total attendance. Last year, we led the league in total attendance. The last five years, we finished first or second. There's a lot of exciting things that that are on the horizon uh, that we have. Right now, from a baseball standpoint, uh, through the assistance and, and partnership with the university uh, and the vision that we have, we just talked about baseball and how important that is with the Sunbelt Conference. We're building a $12.5 million stadium renovation to Riddle Pace Field. And uh, facilities matter. And as y'all came on campus on Saturday, uh, hopefully y'all saw uh, the billboards that we have out that uh, we're affectionately known as. We're Alabama's prettiest campus. Not only are we the university, uh, uh, Alabama's international university, but we're the prettiest campus. Facilities matter. People matter. And so we're always going to invest in those to make sure that we have the right people, we have the right momentum, and we can continue to have our success and, and really allow it to springboard uh, through that. So that's a great question. And, you know, their plans, we're going to have a strategic plan coming out in early uh, January. We'll also have a facilities master plan as well. I do think planning is important. I think uh, having uh, conversations about where you want to go, aspirational, as well as uh, tactical are important. Yeah, I think that's great. And I will echo the Alabama's prettiest campus. Uh, that was my first time on campus last week and uh, really enjoyed just the architecture and everything going on. Let's switch gears slightly. And, you know, I thought what was kind of neat for us to see at the end of the game, you're standing on the sidelines waiting for the final seconds to tick down, but your family was right behind you, your wife, Tracy, your daughter, Peyton Grace, your son, Jackson. Uh, he looks like he's a huge Trojans football fan and he had all sorts of Troy swag on. I just wanted to ask who his favorite player is. Gunnar Watson, Carlton Marshall. He is the biggest front runner you've ever seen, right? Like who else to pick? You know, I'll be honest. Um, Will Cholo's in there. Uh, Richard Juvenar's in there. Kermani Vardell's in there. Like he loves them all. But but I will tell you, Gunnar Watson and probably Carlton Marshall. And the reason for that is um, we have so many great student athletes that make a difference in lives. And so the motto for the department is the W four: winning in the classroom, winning in the community, winning on the playing field, winning in the stands. And so Troy being a small Southern town, um, there's really a great chance to get to know the students, the student athletes, the community. And that's what makes Troy special. That's what makes our student athletes special. Look, Carlton Marshall, my kids make posters for Carlton Marshall before every home game or almost every other home game. He'll sign them. He gives them the gloves. He interacts with them. Now, you got to think about this. This is the FBS all-time leader in tackles. This is a four-time All-American. That's not just because I'm the athletic director. That's Carlton Marshall. Gunnar Watson's come over and played Xbox with Jackson before. And so you got to see that. You got to like those things. And so, um, and the same thing with Coach Summerall and his kids. Sam and Sadie, the, the Sunbelt Conference just put out his twins. He has four uh, children, but his, his, his oldest are twins. 
to have the video, to have them on the sideline and cheering. And he tweeted out that that's what's special about this. That's what makes intercollegiate athletics so much fun, right? When you can bring your family as part of this. But I would tell you this, Jackson, he loves it like no other. Uh, he, uh, he probably has the roster memorized even better than me. Uh, he's all in, we're all in, you gotta be all in. And, and so from coach Summerall's family to coach Hawkins or to, to Chancellor Hawkins to all the way down, that's what makes Troy a special place. We call it the Trojan way. And, uh, we really want people to embrace that and have their families be part of this unique experience called intercollegiate athletics. You know, we talked to a lot of people on the Troy team and we could attest to them being great role models for anyone like your son or any other child in the community that have definitely some good people to look up to in that Troy program. Another thing we noticed on game day was your game day attire. We think you had some possibly had the some of the exclusive Troy merch on. I know you can't wait to add a championship ring to that game day attire next year. But what goes into selecting what Brent Jones wears on game day in Troy, Alabama? You finally got to the most important question of the day, right? <clears throat> game day attire. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking I, I'm thinking two things. You know, we always have the video for what the players are wearing or the graphics, you know. You had the uniform reveal. What about the AD, you know, reveal, right? Or you have – we have some great fans that track what we're wearing and they try to guess what it is. And they're, they're really spot on. I mean, they're close. What about having an AD, uh, Trevor? I will tell you this. Uh, that's funny. So, I, I enjoy um, – getting to connect with all, with our fans and uh, you know, look, games are fun and they're meant to be fun. And we want our fans to, to wear Cardinal. We want our fans to show up, be loud, be proud. How can I ask our fans to wear Troy? How can I ask our fans to bleed Cardinal? If you're not going, if you're not willing to wear a Cardinal suit during homecoming, right. You know, and so one of those things. And so Chris Del Conte has definitely set the standard of what athletic directors uh, from a dress attire at Texas need to be there and all the way down. But it's something fun. It's something that engages with our fans. Uh, and so Coach Summerall dresses really well. He's, he's got a few Cardinal jackets. Uh, I will make sure that I always have a little bit more than him from a Cardinal jacket standpoint. But uh, it's always good, especially, you know, when you're walking by, hey, you know, they know where you are. And uh, it, it's a fun way to be able to show your Trojan pride. I love it. I, uh, you know, you love a good outfit. You love those accessories. Uh, we know you got to run, but one quick final question here. Uh, you guys are going to be playing in the Cure Bowl against UTSA. What has you most excited about this matchup? Several things. One, it's uh, it's the only bowl that we that I know of that is pitted against two conference champions. Okay, and and uh, so you have that. It's it's the best group of five bowl out there. I know Tulane is is ranked really high as well. They're going to go to they're in the Cotton Bowl, but the the two you have two group of five teams that are ranked in the AP, the coaches, and the CFP. Uh, UTSA eleven and two, Troy eleven and two. Uh, you know, high-flying offense for them, dominant defense for us. I mean, there's so many storylines. Carlton Marshall coming back for the six-year, you know, all-time FBS leader. You have their quarterback seven years now. He's coming back as well. So it's just a lot of exciting things that you see. I think it's two great head coaches. And, oh, by the way, it's in a beautiful destination. I mean, you think about Orlando, the game's probably going to be sold out. It's it's a 20 25, 30,000 seat stadium. It's going to be, it's the only game that's going on during ESPN that time. I, I had the privilege of, of uh, announcing it to the team as well as Coach Summerall last Sunday, this past Sunday. And uh, to see their reaction on their faces, the saying, hey, you're going to, to the number one bowl in the Sunbelt Conference, the first one that has the selection. You're going to Orlando. You're going to go to Universal. We're going to have a great time. And oh, by the way, you're playing, you're ranked in the top 25, and you're playing another top 25 team. 
that's what bowl season's about. Our fans are excited. Uh, they're they're going to show up in record numbers. We put a ton of different things together. We're going to have a pep rally Thursday night. The game's on Friday, so we're going to have a pep rally Thursday night. We're going to have a graduation ceremony right afterwards. We're going to take over City Walk, which is in Universal, uh, with different bars and restaurants. The next day, we're going to have a pregame uh, alumni party. We're going to have a Trojan Walk. Uh, we're going to walk with the uh, the parade. It's going to be an exciting deal. We're taking all our cheerleaders, all our football players, all of our band, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to sell out of all of our ticket allotment. We're, we're pretty close right now. We all had an exciting season. It sounds like this bowl game is going to be a very exciting time for not just the Troy players, but everyone in the community. So definitely looking forward to watching y'all perform in this game. And thank you so much for letting us have you on, Brent. We're glad we can make this happen and definitely have to make it happen again in the future. Well, two things I want to say. Bowl game is a reward for student athletes as well as fans. And uh, y'all are doing a great job. Look, the Sunbelt Conference, I appreciate y'all's uh, your awareness, uh, your knowledge, your in-depth uh, from uh, from calling games to, to, to doing podcasts to being at places. It, it's big. Look, we need this kind of exposure. The Sunbelt Conference does. And so this only legitimizes us even further. And so y'all are doing a great job. And you really have an important job. You are a mouthpiece for our uh, conference. And again, collective excellence. We talk about that here. You think about football. You also think about volleyball. We should have gotten two teams in this year. Baseball's gotten four in. You see volleyball's gotten four in. Men's basketball is just dominating. I think we have uh, five wins versus power five. So we have a lot to be proud of. And uh, I appreciate y'all's uh, really putting your energy uh, and maximizing this effort behind it. Caden, that was a lot of fun. He gave us a lot of fantastic insight, particularly about that coaching search that I enjoyed. I also loved hearing his perspective about the momentum in the league and where the Sun Belt is heading. And I must say, as a person who considers himself a fellow good dresser, I actually really enjoyed hearing about how he chooses his game day wardrobe. Yeah, and just as a former player and someone who really only has a perspective on the ground level and now covering the sport, it was great to hear Brent Jones peel back the curtain and kind of talk to us about how the back end of some of the success looks. We forget that it all starts with the athletic directors making those decisions. And it sounds like he made a lot of right decisions that led to this season and now they're reaping the rewards of it. So it's awesome to see. And I really am looking forward to just this team being in this moment. You can tell that they're very appreciative of getting back to these championship ways and talked about the importance of guys like Carlton Marshall, like Gunnar Watson. And Gunnar Watson's definitely going to be big for this team in this game. And the quarterback matchup, I definitely think is going to be something to watch with him going up against a guy like Frank Harris, fresh off of his great game. And Frank Harris just having a fantastic season in his conference. Yeah, let's get into that that quarterback matchup here uh, before we hear from Gunnar Watson in a few moments. But as you mentioned, Troy's Gunnar Watson, UTSA's Frank Harris. Caden, these are two guys that have been around college football for a long time. Gunnar Watson in his fifth season, Frank Harris in his sixth, just announced that he's coming back for a seventh year. Uh, we've never heard numbers like that, but Caden, these are two quarterbacks that do it differently, and we'll go ahead and start with Gunnar Watson since this is a Sunbelt podcast. He's a player that was named the Sunbelt Conference Championship MVP. He's going to talk in this interview that you'll hear in a few moments about what he's done with that championship belt. Uh, Caden, he threw for 318 yards and three touchdowns through the air in that title game versus Coastal Carolina, and on the season, Watson, a 62% completion percentage. He's thrown just 13 touchdowns to 10 inter or 10 interceptions. He's cleaned that up slightly as the year's gone on, a little over 2,700 yards. But as I mentioned, just three interceptions in his last six outings. Caden Gunner Watson playing some of his best football of the year heading into this bowl game. 
And he's playing it at a perfect time. We talked about this Troy offense all season and how they were really reliant on the success of their defense. But their last three weeks of football, you look at this team and you could argue that their offensive attack could be just as, if not more important in their success down the stretch. And Gunnar Watson definitely has a lot to do with that, especially if you look at this last game, particularly the rushing attack was obviously big time in their last two regular seasons game. But the championship game, there's a reason why that guy was wearing that belt when the night was over, because he elevated his play and you got to hope as a Troy fan, can you see him elevate that play yet again? Because obviously quarterbacks don't face each other. It's an offense versus a defense. But if he can have any sort of effectiveness like he had against Coastal Carolina's defense, against this UTSA defense, if he can complete those deep balls, if he can find his receiving targets left and right and seem like this is an unstoppable offense, get those explosive plays going like he has been, I think we can see this be probably not a shootout because of the defensive prowess, and we'll talk a little bit more, but definitely a way more interesting game, the better that Gunnar Watson can play, that's for sure. Caden, uh, before the championship game, you had said that, you know, quarterback might be the least important position on this Troy team heading into a game like this. Is that your is that the same opinion you have or or does Gunnar Watson have to do something with his arm in this game against UTSA? That's a tough one to say. And I think you can kind of look back at the Western Kentucky game. I think the Conference USA teams, the style of play they have. A lot of them really lean on their offensive attack, whether that's a big aerial attack, an aerial attack combined with a rushing attack like we see it with UTSA. So I really think it's going to be about can the defenses in this game control the game and let Troy play their style of offense. And I think if Gunnar Watson is able to play his style of offense, I mean, the game he he had in the championship, he only threw 17 pass attempts, still got 300 yards, still got three touchdowns. That's what the peak of this offense looks like. It's not a game where he has to throw the ball 30 times to make some stuff happen. It's going to be a balance of that running game and his arm. And I talked about it before. His play is only an elevator of this team. It only makes it better. But going up against an offense like this, you want to trust Troy's defense to handle business like they always do. But this is an offense that averages 38 points a game. So they're going to try with Troy to play their own brand of ball the best they can. But the better that Gunnar Watson can play in this game, the way better chances, I think. I think it's way more important in a game against an opponent like this for him to play well than maybe some of these other Sunbelt teams that don't have as much firepower at the quarterback position or at the offensive end in general. Yeah, I think that's a great point because heading into this game, there is going to be a lot of pressure on that Troy secondary. And one thing that Gunnar Watson did nice in the Sunbelt Championship game is he took pressure off of that defense. If he can do that early on in this game, I think that would be huge. And Caden, Troy is facing perhaps their best quarterback of the season. Maybe you could make the argument uh, you know, that Austin Reed should be in that conversation, a guy like Grayson McCall, Carter Bradley. Uh, But Frank Harris is a different type of football player. He's Conference USA's most valuable player this season. Recently announced, as I said earlier on, that he will be coming back for a seventh season next year. Uh, But, Caden, on the year, 71% passer this season, 31 touchdowns, just seven interceptions. He's thrown for just under 4,000 yards. And, Caden, he has been outstanding in his last five games, 14 touchdowns to just one interception. This will be the toughest task that this Troy defense has had to face all year long. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one for Troy. And I think when you look at Frank Harris, I did some scouting and just watched some of his film and some of the things he's able to do. And he's taken a huge leap in this season. He was a good player last year, but this season he put himself in some rare territory as far as quarterback play in college football. You talked about the numbers. This dude's going to be nearing 4,000 yards in the air. 31 touchdowns, only seven interceptions, which is a very good ratio. And then, of course, he can also do it with his legs when his arm wasn't enough for this offensive success and for him vying for those awards that he got during the end of the year. He does it with his legs, too. He's his team's 
third leading rusher with 588 yards on the ground, nine rushing touchdowns. So he's a guy who doesn't want to run necessarily. His coach is going to call his number to run sometimes when he can, but he's one of those quarterbacks you have to fear just because he is so efficient in the pocket. He's a left-handed guy, a little bit of an unorthodox throwing motion, but you can tell he knows where his targets are going to be at all times. He can pick you apart from the sidelines to up the hashes to down the middle of the field and so on. And I think also they do a great job of getting him on the run, rolling to that left-handed side of his throwing the ball. So I think he's definitely going to present more of an issue with the quarterback position that I think Troy's had to see in quite a while, but you never know. I mean, Troy made Grayson McCall in that first half look very pedestrian. So I think if Troy can do that and give this guy as much trouble as they can, that'll be better off for them in this game because he hasn't really been pressed. It seems like in any of these games, as far as being able to put out for his team and put out for his offense. Hey, Harris responsible for 40 touchdowns on the year, 31 through the air, nine more on the ground. He is the definition of, of a dual threat quarterback. But Caden, we've already teased it a little bit. We heard from Gunnar Watson. Go ahead and tell our listeners, you know, maybe some of your favorite parts of the interview they're about to hear. I mean, Gunnar's a country boy, man. He, he can't hide it. He has a great accent. And we were loved talking about some of those roots he has. And I think Gunnar, just this moment, you can tell how special this team is for him. He talked about some of his unselfishness at the quarterback position. And I think it was just overall very contagious for this team, very contagious for this offense. It was a group that you can tell didn't really care about who got the spotlight this year. It's just a matter about wins and losses. And he clearly exemplified that this year. I think it's a very exciting time for this Troy program and they have a very exciting quarterback coming off of a big game for sure so without further ado let's get to our interview with the one and only Gunnar Watson really excited to have Troy quarterback Gunnar Watson and recently named the Sunbelt Conference Championship MVP Gunnar thanks for joining us first thing I've got to ask you how long have you been wearing this championship belt? Has it left your waist since you got it? Uh, yeah, it has. I actually gave it to my dad, my mom and dad, and they took it back home with them. So I haven't had it around. It was there. It was at my house for about 24 hours. So it'll definitely have to be something I'm sure that you will be wearing a lot during the off season. But, hey, we wanted to just jump right in. And, you know, one of the interesting things about your background is you've played now for four different offensive coordinators. You had Matt Moore in 18, then Ryan Pugh in 19 and 20, Luke Meadows last year, and now Joe Craddock this season. Um, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make under Coach Craddock's system this season? Uh, it was a little bit different because we, we, um, we started huddling and stuff and really using, relying on a wristband with some longer plays. And I think that was the biggest adjustment. And um, the run game's a little bit different. There's more checks and stuff like that. So that was the biggest difference between, especially the last offense I ran, big air raid style with no huddling and just straight signaling and really no communication to the O-line, very little. But now it's a little different. So I think that was the biggest adjustment. And Gunner, this season, you started off as the starter. You get injured against Western Kentucky, and we saw some Jarrett Dagey in that game. We saw him in the Southern Miss game as well, and then y'all split some time in that Texas State game in the S South Alabama game, and then you return as the starter against Louisiana. Just what was it like mentally having to go through kind of the ebbs and flows of being a starter one week, not being a starter, and kind of just keeping your cool all the way through the championship? Uh, yeah, I think me and Jarrett both did a really good job of um, supporting each other. That was the biggest thing. Me and him became really close, and um, He's like having a coach in the room with you because, I mean, that's what he wants to do one day. And he's a very smart football player, very talented. And I think the biggest thing was that we didn't let that get in between our friendship. And we just kept on playing. We were trying to win games for our team. So, 
Now, take us, you know, a little bit into the decision process weekly. How was that decision being made? Or, you know, we even saw at times this year where you guys were rotating series. How was that decision being made inside that locker room? Uh, yeah, it was me and him were both. He was banged up um, after the Southern Miss game or Texas State game. And I was, too, a little bit. I had a my, my concussion and um, all that. And I had a toe thing. So me and him the week of South were both kind of banged up and um, they decided to go with Jarrett and then they put me in towards the second half. But I mean, coach crack would just sit us down and be like, Hey, look, we're going with this guy that one week. And then it was a different guy. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything neither one of us were not used to and they were honest with us. So that was the big thing. And we, we just wanted to go out and win games. Like I said earlier. Yeah. I know Caden's always talked about honesty and then obviously you know, that common goal of winning football games is what's most important. Um, you know, it's no secret with your team this year, Gunner, that the defense has carried you guys at times. They've been as good as any defense in the league. Um, how good did it feel to kind of repay the favor in that championship game by having that big offensive performance and taking some of the load off of the defense? Yeah, I think that was huge because we really haven't had the best first halves this year. And to come out and score 31 points, Coach Craddock, wanted us to score 21 points in the first half, and we scored 31 points. And that was – I think that was huge and really kind of carried over into the second half where we just kept on scoring. And I think that was huge. And it kind of – I think our defense was was a lot – they were more fresh after that uh, first half because we stayed on the field a pretty good bit. And um, we knew going into the second half they would be fine and we would score a few more points. So it was huge coming out in the first half and scoring a lot of points. And in that game and in that first half specifically, me and Noah couldn't help but notice just those two-man deep crossing route concepts that y'all were running were so successful. Could you just tell the people what it takes and what's some of the keys to being so successful on those shot plays when you do take a gamble and do take a risk? Because I think it's pretty clear that you and your receivers had it going on those concepts and really were gelling in that first half, especially in the championship game. Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, with those with those kind of plays is your run game. If, you run, if your run game's not any good, you're not going to get any – pull out of the backers and the safeties and then um both the guys running the guy that's running the deep route I mean he's sometimes he's clearing it out sometimes we're looking at him but he's got to be full speed and I think it takes everybody no line to hold up the back to check protection and get out and pull a flat player so it 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 takes everybody to get those plays going and um they've been really good for us this year Gunnar, let's talk a little bit about this matchup that you guys will have in the Cure Bowl. You're playing a very good UTSA team, and you know they're one of the top teams in Conference USA at forcing interceptions. It's no secret that you've thrown a few of those this year. It's gotten better as the year has gone on. What are some things that you need to do in this game to successfully guard against throwing interceptions to this very good uh, UTSA defense? Uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, we like to throw the ball over the middle a lot. So, I mean, if I do miss high or – we get it tipped. I mean, it's probably going to be intercepted. That's what's happened a lot of times this year. If it gets tipped or I miss high, it's going to be intercepted. So I think that would be the biggest thing, just being accurate over the middle and um, hitting spots with my throws. And we've seen a lot of different versions of this offense, Gunner, where you have weeks where you run the ball very well and you run it a ton. You have weeks like we saw in the championship game where you throw the ball very well. And we've kind of talked to Coach Summerall about how you'll sometimes have a game plan on offense. If it doesn't go your way, you'll switch it up real quick. Or if it does go your way, you kind of lean into your strengths. Could you just talk a little bit maybe about the adaptability of this offense and how that's going to kind of be, I think, an advantage in this game going against a team in UTSA who's not really familiar with you guys? I think we go into the we go into every game where we're going to throw it in, run the ball. We want to be a little bit more 
run heavy every week. That's our goal. But um, honestly, like you said, we just adapt to what's going on during the game. And I think that with the two games before the championship game, and we had over 200 yards rushing, I mean, whatever is working, whatever it takes to win the game, that's what we're going to do. And last week it was mostly throwing the ball. So, But when your run game is, has been so good for the past two weeks, we knew that Coastal was going to try to stop the run. So it's just whatever it takes to win the ball game. Gunner, I saved what I think will probably be one of your favorite questions towards the end of this. And I know you're a big hunter, and we're right in the middle of deer season. Uh, I was just curious if there would be some hunting in the cards after the bowl game. Have you done any hunting during the season, or is that something you wait for to the end? Uh, I just wanted to ask you about your enjoyment of hunting. Yeah, we went. I went hunting on um, – we had – so we played south on Thursday night, and I went home that weekend. Then we had another bye week, and I went home and – deer hunting a little bit but yeah i think right after the bowl game me and my dad are going to louisiana duck hunting so looking forward to that but looking forward to getting a win also i'll worry about that when we get done next friday you know just a follow-up to that what is your type your favorite type of hunting is it deer is it ducks or really is it just being out in the wild uh i enjoy duck hunting the most probably that's what me and my dad love to do that together and that's what we've done since i was seven eight years old i got into it big then so that's what I enjoy the most. That's good stuff, Gunner. We like to ask this question very commonly on the podcast. We asked your teammates, Austin Sidham, this one. We asked Carlton Marshall this one and got kind of a surprising answer. I don't know if you know this, but he's a pretty big Lady Gaga fan, apparently. But we just want to know, before you step foot on the field for the Curable, what's going to be in your headphones? What are you going to be listening to? And if you were a baseball player, what would that one walk-up song be for you? Uh, this past year, I've listened to Sleeping on the Blacktop by Coulter Wall, a country artist. and. Um, I'll put it on repeat most of the time <laughs> before the games, but not a huge music listener before the games because I don't like to get all hyped up. I like something to calm me down a little bit. But, yeah, that's been the go-to. Well, whatever you listened to in that championship game before the first half explosion you had, I hope you're listening to that again for the Cure Bowl. Thanks so much for joining us, Gunner. We're really looking forward to watching you play in this game against UTSA coming up and wish you the best of luck. Appreciate you all. Another great interview there. Really enjoyed talking with Gunnar Caden. That country accent that you mentioned was definitely uh, showing through, and I really appreciated that. I also really enjoyed just hearing about his mentality through that quarterback battle. It felt like it was a very amicable battle, which sometimes those can turn nasty between teammates. I thought he handled it very well. And then, Caden, I also thought it was really interesting to hear about you know the differences under their new offensive coordinator, Joe Craddock, the schemes, the terminology. And I just wanted to ask you, how big of a deal is that when you change coaches? Oh, it's a huge deal. I mean, people talk about, we talk about transferring more, more than enough times on this podcast. And when you transfer and you go to different schools, there's obviously an expectation as far as having to learn different things. But people don't really talk about when you're at a program, say, three, four, five years, and you have differences in coaching, you it's pretty much the same process. You have to learn different concepts, different schemes, different terminology. And at the quarterback position, it's more important than anything because you have to know it best because if other people don't know what they're doing, you have to at least be the one that knows it like the back of their hand. So I'm sure he's become a lot better of a player. He'd probably admit that having to learn different offensive schemes and really learn different ways to win. And there's a thousand ways to win football games. And coaches across the nation have different ways so he's probably picked up on a little bit of this a little bit of that and I think that really leans into what we've seen from this team this year as far as leaning into their strengths finding different ways to win and I think his football IQ has definitely helped propel this team and the IQ of the staff as well to being so successful this season 
Okay, let's talk about the bowl game. Uh, the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl, uh, as we mentioned, it's going to be the only bowl matchup between conference champions, UTSA winning Conference USA, Troy winning the Sun Belt. Uh, some have dubbed this the top group of five bowl. These are the two two of the best teams in the group of five this year. You have to throw Tulane in that conversation as well. They will play in the Cotton Bowl as the top group of five member. But, Caden, both of these teams come in hot, 11 wins. Troy, when you look at their bowl history, they're 5-3 and three in bowl games, although they've won their last four. But this is just their first bowl game since 2018. So how much can you lean on in terms of history? There wasn't too many guys uh, that were on that team, guys like Carlton Marshall, Austin Stidham, and some of the other guys were. Uh, UTSA, though, they haven't been in FBS for that long. They're 0-3 all-time in bowls. They played in a bowl game last year, losing uh, to San Diego State. Caden, the conversation has to start with UTSA's prolific offense. This is a top 15 offense in the NCAA this year. They led Conference USA in scoring just under 40 points per game. Total offensive outlay, this is crazy. Just under 500 yards per game is 12th in the NCAA. Kane, they've put up 30 points in 11 of 12 games, and their only game under 30 this year was to a pretty good Texas program. This will be the toughest task for that Troy defense that they faced all year long. I mean, it's the premier matchup of this game. You talk about the winning pedigree that both of these teams have established this season and beyond, and I think a lot of that has to do with on the UTSA side of the ball, leaning into their offense being their strong suit, and on the Troy, leaning into their defense and that being their strong suit. Both of these teams got to these places because of both of those sides of the ball, and I think watching these two offense and defenses battle against each other is going to be something to watch, but watching this UTSA offense go up against a Troy defense is great, and something has to give. I mean, this is a team at UTSA that's scoring 38 points a game, and Troy's only holding opponents to 17 and a half points per game. So something's going to have to give in this one. Something, one of those units is going to win this battle individually. And I think whoever wins that is likely going to win this game. You talk about Troy week after week after week doing their best job of slowing offenses down and setting up their offense to get points on the board where they only need a couple really to win. But lately we've been seeing back-to-back 40 points plus point games for Troy that have definitely helped out that defense. So it's going to be very interesting to see, I think, what version of this Troy offense shows up in this game and how much they can help this defense that's going up against an absolute juggernaut, not only in Conference USA, but in the country. I think they've proven week in and week out that they can score on just about anybody. The question is going to be, can they score against this Troy defense who really doesn't let that happen very often? Well, Caden, you segued me in perfectly. It's like we've done 44 episodes together now, but I... This Troy defense is second in the Sun Belt in scoring defense. You mentioned just 17 and a half points per game. Uh, they're also top five in sacks uh, in the NCAA, 39 on the year. Statistically, they were the second best passing defense uh, in the league uh, this season. So when you look at sacks, when you look at passing defense, Caden, those are going to be things that Troy is going to need to take to another level against this UTSA offense. Yeah, and I think when you look at this Troy team, really just the personnel of both of these teams in this matchup, look, UTSA has a lot of weapons all around. I mean, their skill players on both sides of the ball are elite, and that starts with the quarterback like Frank Harris at the top of the lineup. But then you look at the weapons he has around him. I mean, Zachary Franklin is a guy who's caught 14 touchdown passes this year. He's running things in this conference as the top dog at the wide receiver position. But also Josh Cephas is another weapon that he has out wide that's also top five in the conference in receiving yards. So out wide, I think this UTSA team may have the advantage. And we've talked about guys in the secondary like a Reddy Stewart, like a Craig Slocum, 
these guys in the Troy secondary have been tested, but they will be tested more than they ever have. But when you talk about sacks and the important stuff up front, I think that's where Troy might have the advantage, not, not only on this side of the ball, but both sides of the ball. These guys up front, the Buddha Joneses, the TJ Jacksons, the Carlton Marshalls up front, they're going to test them up front. I think up front, it's going to be harder for UTSA to run the ball than usual. I think these guys will be not afraid to load the box. UTSA likes to spread things out, put four guys out wide, but I think there's enough strength in the front seven unit of Troy to still be able to effectively stop the run, get pressure on the quarterback, and do a good job in the secondary. So I think out wide, it's going to come out to these individual matchups as far as, as, far as the effectiveness of this pass game. But I think up front, Troy does match up very well, and it's going to be a lot on their plate. But I do think they'll be up to the challenge as far as that front seven goes, as far as run stopping and getting pressure on the quarterback. Kane, you went into a bowl game last year against a Western Kentucky team that was really good, and Bailey Zappi obviously is now in the NFL. It's not a game that you overly like to remember because it ended with a loss, but Caden, as a defensive player heading into this game, knowing that you're going up against a prolific offense, what is your mindset? It's all hands on deck. I think any time you play an offense, especially from a different conference that is playing a much different style of football than you're used to playing, you watch it on film and you're like, there's no way this is going to work against us, right? You're watching them just carve up all these different teams in a different conference that you haven't played before. Their UTSA has carved up Rice and North Texas and some of these teams. And you're like, there's no way that can be us, right? And then you get out there and you realize, okay, this team week in and week out is just a more polished offensive attack than you're used to seeing. They clearly are comfortable running this system. They spread it out very well. They make your defense cover their bases as far as the run game and the pass game very well. So I think for this Troy defense heading into this one, it's going to be all hands on deck. If one unit tries to take too much responsibility on having their fingerprints on this game and winning this game, it won't work out. I think it's just going to be a collective effort. You get quarterback pressure in this game, that'll help the secondary. If you can stop the run, that also helps the secondary and vice versa. If the secondary can cover their spots and man coverage and do a great job as far as locking down these receivers and then in zone coverage being where they need to be, that's going to help the guys up front too. So it's really going to have to be a collective effort because when you play an offense that's this explosive and has a lot of different weapons and options to go with, if one person doesn't cover their bases, it could hurt it. If they don't get their pressure up front, that could hurt the secondary the same way it would hurt them and vice versa. So I think it's going to have to be a collective effort. I think one unit of this Troy defense, whether you look at the front end or the back end of it, is not going to be able to slack in this game or else a team in offense like this will be able to punish you. Kane, you have to imagine in this matchup, that secondary is the X factor in this game. And both teams have really good secondaries. So we'll talk about it because I know you love talking secondaries. You know, you've got a guy like Clifford Chapman, the safety for UTSA, Corey Mayfield Jr. out wide as the cornerback. But then you look at that Troy team, Reedy Stewart has been, or Stewart rather, has been one of the best cornerbacks in the league this year. You add in a guy like TJ Harris. Uh, these are two dynamic secondaries. And if you like the defensive side of the football, that's a matchup to really key in on. Yeah, you talked about it. UTSA has a very elite secondary with two very good players. You talk about Chapman and Mayfield. These are guys that have 14 pass breakups and 12 pass breakups and then four interceptions and three interceptions. That's unheard of. If you're a defensive back and you get your hands on the ball that many times during the season, you're going to find yourself at the top of the all-conference list. And those dudes definitely did it. And I think when it comes down to it, I think we talk about a lot of these games in the defensive side of the ball. Run stopping is very important. It's very important in controlling the tempo of the game. It's very important overall, just in the game of football. It never will not be. But you talk about both of these secondaries, they're going to be big X-factors in this game because they have talent. You talked about guys like Reddy Stewart, Craig Slocum on the other side of the ball as far as a corner and safety duo that are also elite. 
These are going to be the guys that have to guard the big-time playmakers on both sides of the ball. I think you look at a game that Roshan Johnson had, those Stoudemire, those guys on Troy are going to have to make plays, and I think the one-on-one individual matchups between the secondaries and the wide receiver units could swing this game because both of these units lately have been throwing the ball so well that whichever secondary can get their hands on the ball, can get that big turnover and slow down this other wide receiving attack the best, could be the difference maker in this game ultimately when it comes down to both of these teams relying on their big play success and ability as of late at the wide receiver position. Hey, I got to admit, Caden, I am excited for this game. I think Brent Jones whetted my appetite thinking that we might see a sellout in Orlando. I think that will be a lot of fun. Uh, Just some quick notes. Troy comes in as a one-point favorite in this game, so Vegas thinks this game could be really close. And Caden, I almost feel like this is a bit laughable, but the over-under sits at 54 and a half. Uh, You put these two offenses together, and I feel like we'll see some points, but who knows uh, how all of that goes. Well, that'll do it for our Cure Bowl preview episode on the Prairie and Smith podcast. We'd like to say a special thank you to Troy Athletic Director Brent Jones, the quarterback Gunnar Watson, as well as Associate AD Adam Prendergast for helping make this episode possible. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday where we'll preview the upcoming Lending Tree Bowl between Southern Miss and Rice that will take place on December 17th in Mobile, Alabama. Thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Freire and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, consider taking a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you liked today's show, take a moment to tell us what you liked by leaving a quick review on Apple Podcasts or, you know, by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify. Finally, if you haven't already, and I can't figure out why you haven't yet, follow the show on Twitter at at Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. You won't regret it. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.